Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today from chapter 6 of the story, the words of Moses spoken to his people then, but also the word of God spoken to all people today. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. This is our text. Chapter 6 of the story is titled, Wandering. And on, on one level, that refers obviously to the, to the wandering of the people of Israel in the wilderness during those 40 years. But long before that wandering, they were doing another kind, spiritual wandering, as they wandered away from God. Now, we've seen that repeatedly already in the first five chapters of the story, but, but chapter six really is, is just filled with it. In fact, I counted nine different times when that happened with nine different reasons why it happened. Your sermon outline uh, lists those reasons. The blank there is uh, I'm going to get you a little bit involved in the message today. As I relate to you the incident of wandering, see if you can remember, and girls and boys, you can work on this too, see if you can remember who did it. First one's a pretty easy one, I think, anyway. It's uh, the grumbling that took place. The people complained about the hardships, about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. Who were those people? Those are the Israelites, all right. Now, who was filled with self-pity and said this? I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, this, <laughs> this isn't funny, but this is funny. If this is how you are going to treat me, he says, please go ahead and kill me if I found favor in your eyes. And do not let me face my own ruin. Who was that man? That was Moses. Who was filled with doubt and said, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, talking to the Lord, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Who said that? That was Moses too. Jealousy and pride are... Two other reasons why people can wander from the Lord. And, and who was guilty of that by saying, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Who said that? That was Miriam and Aaron. Who was filled with fear when they said to the entire assembly about the land of Canaan, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Who said that? Well, ten of the spies, right? There were two. Joshua, and I forget the other guy's name. Uh, oh, yeah, Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were the only two uh, who weren't filled with fear. 
And actually, the, the people of Israel uh, picked up on that, of course, as well. How about this refusal to believe? God is speaking to Moses, and he says, How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? It's another repeat, that is, the Israelites. And then I talk about impatience and big-headedness. I guess big-headedness isn't actually a word. At least my spell checker kept underlining it, but I think you know what it uh, means. And see if you can, you can see why I said I think there was some big-headedness involved here. Who said to the people of Israel, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Who said that? Moses. And where's the big-headedness? He didn't say, Must the Lord do it? He said, must we do it? Speaking either just of himself or of himself and Aaron. And how about stupidity? This is my word that I'm assigning to this anyway. Who showed, I think, tremendous stupidity by saying, why to Moses and to God, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water. Well, of course God was providing for them. There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Who was guilty of that kind of stupidity? The Israelites. Actually, I'm going to show you the whole list because the last one you can figure out too. Lust, who, who gave in to that? The Israelite men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, with pagan women. Now, as you look at that list on the screens... What do we learn? Well, number one, no one is immune to the temptation to wander from God. And number two, at least some of those reasons for wandering, those temptations to wander, apply to us, don't they? You you can decide for yourself how many of those or which are the the most difficult ones uh, in your life. And then maybe you can uh, ask God to help you to, uh, to overcome that temptation to wander. Because when we wander, there are so many consequences. In fact, let's just take a look at those consequences now. I'm not going to go over all of them. I'll mention one of them only. And that's the second one on the list there. Uh, the wording just says, be careful what you pray for. Sometimes... The worst consequence that God brings upon an individual or individuals is to give us what we want. That's what happened one time during this wilderness wandering when the people had been craving meat and God said, you want meat? Okay, you're going to get meat. And they ate it every day for a month until at least it felt like it was coming out of their nostrils. Be careful what you pray for. Because God just might give it to you. When we wander, there are consequences. And I guess we could ask the question, why? Why does God visit consequences on his people then and and on people today for wandering? Why doesn't he just forgive and forget? Isn't that what God's supposed to do? Some people look at uh, pages like we read in chapter 6, And they say, that God, he's mean-spirited, vindictive, and petty. 
Or they say at least he's the, the product of the imagination of somebody who is mean-spirited, vindictive, and petty. And I guess on, on, on the one hand, you can understand how, how someone who doesn't know God might think that by reading what, what happened here. But we know him, don't we? And what do we know about him? We know he is not mean-spirited, vindictive, or petty, but in fact he is compassionate and loving and merciful and kind. And so when we read words such as we read this past week, we're not going to accuse God of being mean-spirited. Rather, we're going to say, I wonder why God, who loves us so much, acts in such a way. And when we ask that question, we can come up with some answers. So all kinds of possibilities. One of them could be as simple as it is God's righteous anger. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God gets angry over sin. That God becomes angry at injustice. Because when people sin, what happens? Other people get hurt. Sometimes also the people who are actually us. When we're committing those sins, sometimes we also get hurt. I wouldn't want a God who says, oh, well, just go ahead. God's righteous anger is a sign of his love for us. As is the fact that, that sometimes he, he gives his people warnings, visible reminders of the right way to go before we, we wander too far down the wrong path. And sometimes maybe he brings these consequences or allows them into our lives simply as a reminder. I read this week something that I thought was a, was a great insight. I've never thought of it exactly this way before. But it said, the greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. Now, I suppose you could, could argue that, but... But certainly a great enemy of faith is forgetfulness when we forget who God is and what he has done for us and how he loves us and wants only the best for us. So sometimes God needs in love to remind us that, oh yeah, he is God and aren't we glad for that? When we wander a little bit further there in your, in your outline, we also recognize with thanksgiving that, that we have an intercessor. You noticed how Moses did that in, uh, in our reading this past week, didn't you? Sometimes we, we kind of focus on his flaws, and we did that a little bit earlier today. But what this points out is what a great leader he was. He loved his people with his whole heart, so much so that, that he was willing to, to stand between them and God. And to stand up to God and say, please, forgive them, even though they really have no right to be forgiven. He asked that for Miriam and Aaron. He asked that more than once for his people. In fact, one time, he got so carried away with it that... That he said, God, if you can't save them, then please don't save me either. That is how much he loved his people and how much he, he saw his future caught up and bound up with theirs. And we know someone else who intercedes with the Father on our behalf, who loves us that much. 
There's a passage in 1 John chapter 2 that says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, because it's never a good idea to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So if Jesus serves as our defense attorney, in a case that on the, on the one hand is an open and shut case, we are guilty. But on the other hand, it's an open and shut case because we are forgiven. And so our defense attorney really doesn't have a very difficult job. The hard work is already done for him. But now his job is easy. All he has to do is remind his father of the promise that was made that all who believe in Jesus will be saved. In fact, that's what Jesus said in the gospel reading today. And he was uh, thinking back to the episode of, the, of the, the bronze serpent that we read about again this week. In John chapter 3, verse 14, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everybody who believes in him may have eternal life. When our defense attorney reminds God of that promise, God welcomes us back every time. But then what? After God welcomes us back, then what? Does the cycle continue? Well, our experience and and our reading would seem to say yes. But God wants to interrupt that cycle. And he says it's possible. He tells us how not to wander. Really, it's pretty interesting. If you look at what Moses said, this is at the very end of Moses' life, after he had gone through everything he had gone through with these people, after what he had seen in his own life and how he had wandered, and he says to them, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. Now, when he says not too difficult, it doesn't mean it's easy. It just means it's not impossible. What I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. No. The word is very near you. It's in your mouth and and in your heart, so you may obey it. How not to wander? I'm going to encourage you, we're not going to do it today. Maybe you'll do it today, but not in this service, to read pages 84 to 87 in here. This is is an excerpt, anyway, of, of Moses' wonderful sermon as he was preparing to say goodbye to his people. Just a couple excerpts for us to consider from that now. One was uh, what we used as our text today. Choose life so that you and your children may live and may love the Lord. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. A little bit earlier, Moses gave to the people of Israel what what in some ways is like our Apostles' Creed. The statement of their faith, and one that they repeated many, many times. In fact, every day. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then these words. If you want to know how not to wander, here's how to do it. I'm not saying it's easy, but apparently it's not too 
difficult for us to, to never be able to do anyway. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be able to do it perfectly, but we can give him everything we've got. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. May he give to each of us the desire and the strength always to choose life. To choose the Lord who is our God, who is our life. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.